0: Good morning. It's, it's wonderful to be back amongst you. It's always a joy to be here and to uh, be a part of your worship service. It's, it blesses my soul uh, to hear the singing of God's word. And to hear you praying is a real blessing uh, to me. Now, I would invite you, if you have your Bibles... Uh, to turn with me to Matthew chapter well we'll begin in Matthew chapter 4 Matthew chapter 4 reading at uh, verse 17 and then we'll move well no we'll just read the whole thing so okay Matthew set before verse 17 I'm asking the Lord to help me here What's happened up to this point in uh, Matthew's uh, record of uh, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is that Jesus has uh, been baptized now. He has faced the devil in the wilderness, uh, being tempted sorely for 40 days. He's been filled with the Holy Spirit before that. And now he is entering full time into the ministry of Of preaching, and this is what he uh, began preaching in verse 17 of chapter 4 of Matthew. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Then he will call his uh, disciples there in the next few verses, and he's ministering to the crowds And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up, that is Jesus, on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Indeed, Lord, what you have chosen to help us grow, to speak into our hearts and lives, to change us, to encourage us, to help us in our praise, to help us, Lord, know you. We thank you for your word. We ask today that it would come forth into our hearts Uh, enlighten us, Lord, in the power of your Holy Spirit, that we might understand it, that we might apply it, that we might grow from it and be encouraged from it as well. Lord, thank you for this congregation. And Lord, as they have uh, many things on their plate right now, I pray that you will help them, help them in all their decisions Help them not to make one decision that is against your will. Help them, Lord, to be able to know and to follow your will and that the church would be a place of rejoicing and a place of peace for all your people, a place and environment, Lord, where they grow and develop. Lord, help help this congregation, we pray. Help those who are struggling mentally, physically, Spiritually, Lord, help all people today. Watch over our families. Watch over our marriages, our children, grandchildren, Lord, our parents and grandparents. Lord, help. Help us all. We need you, and we thank you that you are there and that you do answer our prayers. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. Yes. Very good. So, if you ever have me back again, I thought the Sermon on the Mount uh, would be always... It's a good place you can come and come back and get right back into it. It's not difficult for a, a pastor or a preacher to do that. So... The Sermon on the Mount is uh, in Matthew five, chapter five, chapter six, and chapter seven, and it's it's a wonderful book. It has been recognized by many as the greatest sermon ever given. It is given by Jesus. It is uh, what the Lord used in my life when I was not a believer. Uh, I picked up the Bible and. um, And I read it for three years. Um, Up to that point, I'd had this understanding that you just be a nice person and you would go to heaven. Um, But as I began to read the Bible on my own, and I was not attending a church, and as I said, I read it for three years, I came to this scripture in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and the scripture in Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3. And they led me to the knowledge of my utter sinfulness, that on my own, I was not right before God, and neither could be made right with God by my own efforts. And I needed something else. And one day, if I'm ever back again, maybe I'll give you my testimony as to how the Lord did that. But this sermon is what Jesus expects of every believer. These are not optional uh, commands, teachings that Jesus give. I can... Not something I can say, well, you know, maybe I'll do that, maybe I won't. These are absolutely essential in Jesus' eyes, and it is the life that we have been called to live as believers. Uh, They are not optional. It is the life that pleases God. So we read in chapter 4, verse 17, that Jesus preached... Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we can draw a few conclusions from that. Number one is that up to that point in time, the kingdom of heaven had not come. Understood? Everyone get that? It had not come. It was something new. And... Uh, that is, it had not been there before. And then number two, the kingdom of heaven is something that we need to prepare for, and we prepare for it by repenting, which we'll look at in a minute. And third, they would not wait whom Jesus is preaching to. They would not wait for the kingdom to heaven of heaven to happen when they die, It was something that they would enjoy then and now. Now that is a statement. because I know, that is, for most of us, pretty confusing because we think of heaven when we die. But when Jesus preached, he thought about heaven for his believers beginning now. It is, and you'll find this in many or a few of the doctrines of Scripture, that it's an already, not yet. If you're a believer, you are already saved. But you are not fully saved in the sense that you will be saved when Jesus comes again and raises up our bodies, uh, and we will have a new body, spiritual, without any temptation to sin, Perfect, immortal in His sight—that's to come. But at the same time, right now, we can say, "I am saved by the grace of God. I am a believer. I am a part of the kingdom of heaven." Amen. Amen. All right. So that isn't that awesome. Amen. Yeah. So it begins now. It's mentioned different ways in the scriptures. Uh, It will talk about um, in Colossians, uh, for instance, uh, that we're taken or translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, translated out of the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of his dear son. That's where we belong. That is our position in Christ. It's an already, not yet. But we don't get there naturally by birth. Even if I was brought up into a uh, Christian family, which I was not, uh, I could never say that I was naturally inclined to be a believer, to be born into the kingdom of heaven. It is something that every person, no matter who they are, from what walk of life, from what country they come from, all come this way. They need to repent. They need to repent. To repent means to have a change of direction. Uh, It means... If you're going in one way, you turn around to go to the other. Uh, it, it is that uh, strong of a word that it's not a mere little, little change, it's an absolute change where you're going in one direction and now you're looking to go to the other. It's a new set, a, a mindset that we are supposed to have new thinking, new attitudes, and a new way of living. And I must tell you, repentance is not optional. It is what we are commanded to do, and it is what Jesus commands us to do, and we should not play games with that. We are not to come to Jesus half-heartedly. We are to come to him wholeheartedly and with all of our lives. The Sermon on the Mount is a really a picture of what true repentance looks like. The beauty of this sermon, though, is if you're an unbeliever like I was, it will lead you to this certain knowledge of your complete or your total depravity, that every part of your being is in affected by sin, and even at your best, strongest will, desire, with all of your heart, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you cannot live this life. You can't. Even though you might see the wisdom of it, you might see the goodness of it, the How perfect it is. I mean, if people followed the Sermon on the Mount, 100%, we would not have any problems in our families. We would have no problems uh, in our churches. We would have no problems in uh, marriages. We have no wars in this world if they followed the Sermon on the Mount. And many people have tried and have found that they can't in their own strength, not without Christ. So there are eight beatitudes here, and uh, we're going to look at one this morning, and it's called. And I'm gonna we're gonna do a memory verse now. Any of you ever done memory verses? I am the absolute worst at memory verses. Oh, I mean. When people say memory verses, I want to run out of the church, and but I, I think it's a good thing. And this one's real easy, so we're going to do it in two parts. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Blessed are the poor in spirit. for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs. Look, you done it already? Amazing! Very good. I was going to throw some Hebrew in there for you today. I'm learning Hebrew in the seminary, which is oh wow. At my age, learning a language when I struggle with the English language uh, is amazing. Uh, but one of those days, maybe we'll get some of that as well. Anyway, the Lord helping us. Uh, but blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this, what does this word blessed mean? Or blessed, as some people say. Now, if you have another Bible, uh, especially a paraphrased Bible, or you have a commentary, uh, they might translate that word happy, or sorry, to being happy, blessed means happy, or being fortunate. And that's true. The problem is with those words, they have nuances to it, uh, because happy, uh, it sounds like, a pure f- uh, feeling. And we know feelings come and go like the wind, don't they? One minute you can be happy, next minute you can be sad. And, uh, and the word fortunate, uh, it's a good word too, but it sometimes has that nuances of being, I'm just being lucky. Right? Well, I, I, what I would suggest to you today is the word blessed means this approved of God, approved of God. And for me, that is much better, much better. Yes, I am blessed. I, with that blessing at times comes great happiness, and that's awesome. Oh, yes, enjoy that when it comes. But there are also times when you're blessed that you can be very sad. For instance, with the death of a loved one. That doesn't make you unblessed. You're still blessed. Approved of God. But some of the strength that we need to endure those times that are difficult come from us knowing that our position before God as believers is the place of being blessed. I'm blessed. All God's people say, I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. If you think about that, it is the smile of God upon your life. And that is a wonderful thought. That God, as much as I do things... Sin, at times, that I'm not proud of. That God overall looks at me because of the very goodness of his son, the very righteousness of Jesus Christ, that I receive, that you receive when you believe in him, that God sets his smile upon you. That is wonderful. That will help you endure anything that you're going through. So no matter how life, how difficult life is, and it can get very, very difficult, you will never hear me say that you should be without difficulty, without problems, without horrendous events happening in your life. That's not true. We are people of the truth, and we can live in the reality of that and still know we are blessed. We are blessed. I am approved by God. God smiling at me. You know, I had a a Jamaican Christian man that I used to work near, and uh, I used to go, and I would say to him, in the morning, my normal greeting, I would say, how you doing? And he would look at me with the brightest smile and he would say, blessed. And it didn't matter if it was an unbeliever coming to him or not. If they asked him, no matter how his day was going, he would say, blessed. Blessed. And that's who you are. And that's something that you should practice. You know, look in the mirror in the morning, and you say, I'm not liking what I'm looking, but I'm blessed. All <laughs> right. Okay, so, anyway. Now, anyone reading these Beatitudes for the first time, if you really concentrate on when you read them, uh, you're going to find these statements rather bizarre. I mean, after all, who who wants to be poor at anything? I don't want to be poor financially. I wouldn't want to be poor intellectually. I wouldn't want to be poor in ability or accomplishments. Nobody likes that. Yet somehow being poor in spirit is of enormous value. And for Jesus, it is, in his mindset, for us, of the greatest value. It's something that we need to embrace. So, what does poor in spirit not mean? It does not mean being poor financially, it is not a sin to be wealthy. King Solomon was wealthy and Joseph of Arimathea, who helped in the burial of Jesus, giving him his own tomb. He was wealthy and the Lord used both of them richly. It is true that the book of James teaches that the poor are rich in faith. Poor believers are rich in faith and to have Uh, financial riches comes with some temptations that the poor would not have to face. Poor Christians are rich in faith because they have to exercise their faith to depend on God. Where those who are Christians who are wealthy, they have this particular temptation where they begin, or they can, don't necessarily have to, but they can depend on their riches instead of God. Uh, And it can ruin your life. But it means, but it doesn't mean a number of other things, too. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who is a pastor in London, England, uh, he says this, he, he, he has uh, a story about a deacon who had come out to meet him. He was preaching at another church, and a deacon had come out and had lifted up his bags and carried the pastor's bags into the church. Um, Pastor bags, I'm guessing, had his notes and so forth in it. And he said to Lloyd-Jones, he said, You know, I am a mere nobody, a very unimportant per- man. Really, I do not count. I'm not a great man in the church. I am just one of those men who carry a bag for the minister. Now, Lloyd-Jones observes that the man was anxious to, for Lloyd-Jones to know what a humble man he was, how poor in spirit he was, Often a person like this is wanting you to think they are wonderful because they are so poor in spirit. But that is not what poor in spirit means. It does not mean running yourself down and saying you are worth nothing to others or to yourself. You are all, all people are created in God's image and therefore are worth a lot. Jesus would say, what will you give in ransom for your soul? You can't give anything that is worth you. You're that important. So that doesn't, running yourself down does not make you a person who is poor in spirit. This word poor in the Greek language, which the New Testament was written in, is not just regular poverty. The poor, in verse 3, is to be destitute of anything. It is to be a beggar, spiritually bankrupt. A beggar in Jesus' day, I'm told, would, in embarrassment, cover his face, holding out his hand, asking for help. So to be poor in spirit is crying out to God for your bankrupt, our bankrupt spiritual condition before God. We are spiritually destitute, blind, impoverished, And we have no way of changing that by ourselves, in our own power. Do you believe that about yourself? Now, if I took a poll of most Canadians, they would think themselves pretty good people. I used to think myself a really good person. So good that God owed it to me to bring me to heaven. I mean, for him not to bring me to heaven would just be totally unjust on his part, because I was such a nice fellow. And probably from the world's standards, I was okay. But I forget, if I forgot or did not know It's not the world that will be judging me. It's God. How does he see us? God's verdict upon us all is that we are spiritually bankrupt. We are so in a position of utter poverty, that it takes an act of God to open our eyes to it. If you are aware of your spiritual state this morning, you need to know one thing. It's God who's made you aware of it that does not come naturally to any of us and it took an act of god not only to awaken me to that and you to that but it took an act of god to bring the remedy to that and sending his own son to die on the cross for our sins Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, tempted in every way without sin. And when he goes to the cross, victoriously, he defeats sin that By the grace of God, God will give you the grace to believe in him, the grace that will give you the very righteousness of Christ when you believe in him. I get all of Jesus' goodness, he gets all of my ugliness. So not one of us are better than anyone else. We all come on the same level field, playing field, if you like, on the same level before God, and only one way to be made right with God, and that's through Jesus Christ. And the only way you'll get there is if you recognize your poverty of spirit, your utter destitute of being spiritually right with God. I encourage you today, if you have never reached out and said, "Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you have never done that, I call on you now. The Lord is looking at you You need to come to him now without failure. Wonderful news is he will receive you. He received me, he will receive you. That's awesome. Awesome. And for us who believe, enjoy the smile of God on your life. Know that God's Love is care. And for me, the thought of him smiling at me and not frowning all the time and sitting there with a big stick ready to want me because I deserve it, (laughs) but because of Jesus Christ, his son. I recognize in my spiritual poverty that he has received me as his child. His smile is upon me. His smile is upon every one of you who love him, who love Jesus Christ and believe in him. The Lord help us today. Let us pray. (laughs) Father, thank you for your grace that ever reached down to sinners like us and has worked so powerfully, so quietly at times, graciously in our lives, so mercifully in our lives that led us to yourself to believe in your son. And, Father, that your smile upon us still stands. We do need to ask for forgiveness, Father. But we thank you today that like a child with his father who loves him, we are always forgiven as we confess. Thank you, O God, for your smile upon us again. Thank you that we are blessed. In Jesus' name, amen.